Hey Bulldogs, it's Nina Viglianti, and welcome to this week's episode of Beyond the Tassel. I am a sport and exercise physiology major of the sales class of 2025, and I am excited to be hosting this podcast with the purpose of reconnecting with our alumni and informing DSU students about the endless possibilities beyond graduation. Get ready to be inspired by our stories of our alumni and learn valuable insights from their career journeys. Now it's time to introduce this week's guest. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Beyond the Tassel. This episode is very special because we are actually interviewing someone overseas. This is Sean Crosby. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Sean. I'm a 2015 graduate from DeSales University. I did my Bachelor's of Arts in Theology with minors, Philosophy, and Merchant Family Studies. And I'm now the assistant head sommelier for the two Michelin star restaurant, Restaurant Story, here in London. So a lot of people probably don't know what a sommelier is. So if you wouldn't mind just explaining that for us. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, So traditionally, a sommelier is someone who specializes in wine, typically working in hotels and restaurants. Today, the uh, title has seen a little bit of a modern shift, uh, encompassing people that work in wine retail. Myself, I work on the restaurant floor here in London. So I will be interacting with guests, controlling wine inventory, working with the chefs, all that fun stuff that typically see with uh, fine dining. Wow, that is very cool. If you could just explain like a day in the life of like what you do, like from starting the restaurant, like opening it and then closing it. This is really interesting. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, So I would say the life of a sommelier, uh, at least uh, a lot of major cities, uh, you will typically be getting up very early for your commute. When we get to the restaurant, uh, we'll usually be looking at our notes from bottles that we had sold uh, previous days, go to the wine cellar uh, or our storeroom, uh, just make sure we are stocked with everything for our wine pairings, all of our wines by the glass. We'll take a look at any menu updates that the chefs have. So we do a multi-course tasting menu. The menu is always changing. So we want to make sure our pairings are matching accordingly. We'll sit down with myself, our head sommelier, and our junior sommelier. We'll do some tasting, review some notes, look at menu notes for that day. Talk to the staff, get the dining room set up, and then we, uh, we go into showtime. The service begins. We'll go through a briefing, make sure all of our guest notes are up to date. We know what the guest preferences are, if they've been to the restaurant before, any special occasions, birthdays, anniversaries, job promotions. And then, yeah, service begins. When a guest comes in, usually dinner with us will take about two hours from start to finish. And then uh, we close up shop, last guest leaves, and then, you know, we get everything set up, get ready to do the whole thing again tomorrow. That sounds like a very, very busy day for you. Oh, yeah. I, I would say like our average days are anywhere from 10 to 12 hours a day, uh, give or take. But after a while, you you get pretty used to it. Uh, you get used to the hustle. You get used to you know all the excitement. But yeah, a lot of it for us, we enjoy that little bit of uncertainty every day. We want to make sure that you know we're prepped for any situation that walks through the door. And we want to make sure we can really just put on the best show for the guest. Mm-hmm. It's different than there are in the U.S., I guess you could say, just because it's a Michelin star restaurant. I don't know a lot of restaurants like that around the Center Valley area, but it sounds very complicated and in-depth and just an experience more, if that makes sense. Oh, no, I, I would say like there are there are definitely uh, restaurants in the U.S., uh, like Chicago has the three Michelin star Elenia. New York City, you have uh, 11 Madison Park. LA and San Francisco, they have other uh, things. 
I will say one of the reasons I did move to London after I had gotten involved in the wine side of things was because of Restaurant Story. With us having two Michelin stars, we just got done with a year of being closed for major renovation. So for me, it was, you know, going to these restaurants that had these accolades, seeing the drive to get three Michelin stars and to really immerse myself into that type of culture in hospitality. I think with Pennsylvania, I think we could see the Michelin Guide in Pennsylvania in a couple of years. I think that would be really, really exciting. There's a ton of restaurants that either I had worked in previously or that I have colleagues that work in now that are absolutely deserving of uh, Michelin stars. I think one of the things that if someone is looking to get into the hospitality industry that wants to get into Michelin, into fine dining, I think it's knowing what the Michelin guide looks for, which is great service, incredible care for the guests, but a lot of creativity. And I think especially in places like Philadelphia, I know with Center Valley and Lehigh Valley, you're starting to see some chefs coming into those areas that are really bringing a lot of creativity to the table. Uh, really good ingredients. There's farms everywhere. You're getting such good ingredients out there. When I was living in Lancaster, you couldn't throw a stone without hitting some farm. <laughs> <laughs> like someone that's, you know, growing incredible produce, uh, taking really good care of animals. Um, so I think I think there's definitely a lot of potential. And uh, I do hope that Michelin does take a, a notice to a lot of the creativity happening in Pennsylvania. Yeah, I do too. That would be really interesting to see like more of people like of what you do in <laughs> the area that we're in right now in Center Valley and in Pennsylvania and things like that. No, 100%. Yeah. One question I do have, since this is a career development center related mm -hmm. podcast, describe yeah. your experience at DeSales for me. How did you find DeSales and how did you end up becoming a theology major and <laughs> how you became to be in that program? Yeah. So I went to DeSales uh, mainly because I grew up in the Diocese of Allentown. So uh, growing up, I came from Schuylkill County, very, very small town, like big coal mining area. And we actually used to joke uh, in my hometown that on every street corner, there was either a church or a bar. Um, me growing up, I was really raised by uh, really raised by the Catholic faith and ultra serve every Sunday for years. Uh, everyone in my town was like, oh, you're going be a priest uh, like it's it's not even a question you're, like, you're gonna take over one of the parishes and you know just keep going uh, obviously that that didn't happen but my mom was really influential in me going to DeSales because uh, she thought you know okay if you're not going to be a priest at least study theology I was really good at theology in high school and went to Catholic grade school Catholic high school and I was like okay fine I'll like I'll go and study theology kind of like uh, like how I am Today, like I was wearing like the like black V-necks with the beanies, full hipster mode. And it was one of those things that I wanted to kind of see what was like what was in the humanities. My first academic advisor was Dr. Mar Hurden, and she was such an incredible joy, like seeing a lot of that genuine humility and joy in her profession was something that kind of opened my eyes to seeing, you know, it's not just, you know, reading about the lives of the same 
Saints and like going to church every Sunday, like there's a lot of academics, there's a lot of really interesting questions and discussions that were happening. When Dr. Hauser took over as my advisor, he really kind of opened my eyes to how the theological field also coincided with philosophy, coincided with the arts, the sciences, languages, cultures. So when I was going through my different courses, like I remember being in uh, some German courses with Dr. Purcell and like seeing how like some of the German theologians were using the German language to kind of create these new concepts, which was just so fascinating. With DeSales, with it being such a small university, I think one of the big aspects is something that I found in the restaurant industry, which is a real sense of community. You will meet people in so many different departments and it does feel like a small town. So it, for someone like me that came from a really humble beginning in small towns in Pennsylvania, going to a small college campus was not super different. You still got to kind of see what everyone was doing, whether you're in the theater department, in the PA program, sports and physiology, theology and philosophy, you get to meet all of these people, have these really interesting discussions. And that was one of those things that when I look back at my time at sales, it's one of the really big memories that I have was seeing everyone that even if, you know, we may not be getting the same degrees or even graduating in the same year, you still remember the conversations you had. And that was something that is really important having that community. Yeah, DeSales is a very big community. And with so many majors, they just started actually a speech and language pathology program last year. I, I, I saw that. Yeah, I, I saw the updates. Uh, that's that is really exciting. I I'm ver I'm really curious to see like how many students are going to be jumping into that. Like it, it's going to be it's going to be fun to see. We've had a lot of renovations on that Wills Hall that used to be. Yeah. <laughs> um, I believe that's where the priest actually used to live. But now it's a um, building for the doctor of physical therapy program. And I believe all also the beach language pathology program. Yep. So there's yeah. been, everything's been changing. So many new people have been coming in and like figuring out new majors and it's been really exciting. Oh yeah. I, I remember the last time that I had gone to DeSales campus, um, I was driving through the Lehigh Valley before I moved and I was like, you know, I want to like, I just want to pop by the campus. So I do a little walk, you know, visit one last time before like, the big move. And yeah, like I remember looking at like some of the signs. I'm like, okay, like that's still there. That's still there. That's new. What, when did that come in? That wasn't here when, when I was getting my degree. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. It's really different now. I feel like. Yeah. But no, like it's always, good you know it's good to see like like there's always new updates and you, you always want to go back and be like you know it have things be better than than it was you know it's it's always good yeah, it's just been crazy with all the new developments and things like that, especially with the theology program. They've been, since you were a theology major, I actually took a class with Dr. Hulse called the Vision of John Paul II. So we went into yes. John Paul II's teachings, yep. his philosophies and things that like influenced his teachings and mm -hmm. all Zenas. And I thought it was really interesting. Even if you're not in the Catholic faith, like you still learn all of these like lessons, philosophies. And I thought it was really interesting. Did you have any classes that you took like that when you were here? that really oh yeah there I, I would say there, there were probably three that that definitely like stood out dr holtz did have a course on john paul ii i don't know if it was the same course that you took um or if it was kind of like a trial like proto course like still like getting like all the details right but it, it was it was a course that was centered on john paul ii and like i i'd read a, a few of his encyclicals but i never really got to see kind of like for lack of a better term like the man behind the papacy and 
And like, it was definitely one of those things, like, I I remember just being so enamored with like the joy and kind of like the whimsy that he had with his life and like, and his writings. So that, that was, that was definitely one. The other one would be the science and religion course from Dr. Larry Chap. I had bumped into Chap a couple times with kind of like the end of the year uh, celebration with the theology and philosophy department. And like, he, he was always seen as kind of like this, like not curmudgeon, but like he, he had a bit of a rough exterior, but like a, an amazing, brilliant thinker. And just seeing like the passion that he had for like dialogue and debate and like argumentation, I think was one of those things that got like that, like that fire in the belly, like to kind of like pursue truth uh, in a meaningful way. The last one I would say would probably be the like the logic courses from Dr. Stephen Lachlan. I think he is now up in New York. I'm not sure if he still goes by uh, to sales, um, but Dr. Lachlan, he had this elegance with his lecture style that like you like he he could explain like the entire like book one of the Summa just undoing his cufflinks and like getting ready for his lecture, and like you just start writing and take your notes and you're like, oh my God, like there's so much information in like the five minutes that you were speaking. Like I, I need a minute. Yeah. Um, and that it was one of those things that like, you see all of these different personalities. And that that was something like, I remember doing my course registrations and I would see who would be teaching the course and I'd be like, okay, yeah, like this is a seminar course on the philosophy of beauty as it relates to art. And like, you see someone like Dr. Kerr and you're like, okay, I know this is going to be amazing because the man loves beauty. You see, a course uh, on like John Paul II from Dr. Hulse and anyone that has met Dr. Hulse knows she loves JP too and you just know like, it's just going to be super engaging You're, you know that the class is going to be so much fun I think that's one of the things that if I had any advice for students that are taking electives that are in the humanities take theology and philosophy courses even if you think you know it's not going to be for me seeing the personalities of all the professors in action is a life-changing experience yeah i definitely think that our school is really based on like philosophy and since we're like liberal arts like there's oh, so yeah. many courses now that you can take even if it's just like intro to philosophy and then so many branches of it along with mm -hmm. theology like a lot of us have to take them as requirements to graduate but mm -hmm. there's always the choice to take extra which i think even i might do because i only need <laughs> i believe four or five left in my two semesters after this so like i can take new ones as well and i do think they're really worthwhile if you want to expand your knowledge yeah especially especially in the philosophy field. Oh yeah, one one hundred percent. It's I I think like even now with with my career in wine, I still use the the tools I got during my degree. One of the like one of the examples I think would be blind tasting. Anyone that has seen a show or movie involving sommeliers has seen like the like we pick up the glass, we swirl, we sniff, we we go through our uh, what we call a deductive tasting grid. And I remember first getting into wine and learning how to blind taste, and I. I remember thinking, oh, it's logical argumentation, but with a liquid. You have your premise, this premise follows into this premise, which therefore must be this conclusion. My conclusion is sound, therefore it is this wine. And I remember like telling a colleague about that. I'm like, oh yeah, it's it's deductive reasoning. It's just with wine. And he looked at me and he's like, what are you talking about? And I was <laughs> like, all right, <laughs> you didn't come from philosophy. Okay, cool. <laughs> 
But yeah, like you, you'll take those elements with you. And I think that's one of the things that people do get uh, a misconstrued idea when it comes to theology and philosophy. It's like, that, well, I'm doing a PA program. Why do I need to take a, like a theology course like outside of my gen eds? And my response would always be like, it's not necessarily the content in the course, but it's how the course makes you think. And I think when we look at things like theology and philosophy, like whether you're a chef, whether you're a sommelier, a physician, or even someone who's studying dance or theater, like you're going to train your brain to deal with these abstract ideas, to digest them, to share core ideas with others, and to learn how to argue, to learn how to frame your thoughts. I think that's one of those things that is so invaluable. And one of the things that regardless of any course I took, it was those fundamentals that stay that stayed with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely think your program can be put into like a lot of things. Oh, yeah. No one really thinks of, especially with like the philosophy and theology department. We're we're still we're still here, even 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 if we're not like broadcasting to like to hundreds of thousands of people. Like we're still here. We 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 have like our little section. We're we're cozy. We're yeah. like, we're very we're very similar to hobbits. Like we take we we have our spot. We do our thing. We're proud of it. We're good at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, I definitely think that. I know a bunch of the theology majors, and they love it. And yeah, all all power to them because it's just it's a great program. I love it. I like to talk to different people and different majors and trying to figure out like what their story is. So um, one of the questions I actually really want to ask was when you you started at theology after you graduated, what did you do Mm -hmm. and how did you get to become this? (laughs) So uh, so after I graduated, I was waiting to be admitted to my master's programs. I'd been accepted to three master's programs, uh, one in California, one in Maryland, and I think there was one in Providence, Rhode Island. And I remember like, trying to figure out like, you know, the million dollar question after you graduate, what do I do now? And I was applying to some teaching jobs to kind of kill some time and nothing was really sticking. And I had gotten an interview to be a director of religious education for a parish in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. And and I remember like driving to the interview and just thinking like, okay, like I need something. <laughs> like maybe maybe this will be it. And the I remember like the interview had gone really well, and they had called me a week later and said, uh, we'd like you to be our new director. I had gotten there, you know, got my office set up, got an apartment, and I just remember thinking like, okay, I am making like decent money, and I you know I'm able to support myself. So is this it? And I had done uh, I had done some teaching for uh, for a couple of years. Following that, um, I was uh, teaching a philosophy course with the classical school. I was overseeing the CCD program, the RCIA program. Uh, I had a team of catechists uh, working under me, and it wasn't that anything was was necessarily bad. But I remember thinking like I I want some excitement. So my girlfriend had shown me a documentary called SOM, uh, S-O-M-M. And it's about these candidates that were sitting for the Master Sommelier exam, which is reported as the hardest exam uh, in the world. And I remember thinking like, that looks insane. I want to do it. And I remember literally the next day I got in my office. Uh, it was a slow office day. I hopped on Amazon and I bought a wine textbook and came in like 
two days later, thanks to Amazon Prime, and I remember taking it to my office and just pouring through it. I was like, I, I'm going to do this. I don't know how, but I'm going to do this. And then I was left with my next question. Okay, how do people become a sommelier? I didn't know this was a thing a month ago, and now it's all I'm thinking about. I remember joking with my catechists, like we'd sit in our staff meetings and they'd be asking me questions about like, getting the kids ready for First Communion. And all I'm thinking, thinking about is white burgundy. And... I remember thinking like, okay, if, if this is something I'm going to do, I I can't teach and study and work in a restaurant all at the same time. So I had applied to like the first, like the first like fine dining restaurant that popped up on Indeed. I was like, okay, they have a somewhat decent wine program. Okay, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot my shot and uh, started uh, waiting tables. It, it was literally that easy. We had guests that would bring in their wine and I was kind of acting as a reverse sommelier. They would bring in the wine and I would pair the food. So I had done that for a couple months and I, I still remember this vividly. My girlfriend and I, we were driving to her family's place for Thanksgiving and she had told me, oh yeah, there's this place in Lancaster that is looking for an assistant sommelier. You should apply for it. And I had indeed job alerts set up for the keyword sommelier on my phone and like 10 minutes after she said, that I got the alert on my phone and I applied and uh, that was how I met my first mentor. I was uh, this somewhat older French sommelier. I told him, listen, I don't have any certifications. I haven't done any exams, but I really, really think I can do this. I just need a shot. And he was like, okay, you want to become sommelier? I will train you. And I was like, wait, really? <laughs> like, oh my God, that's amazing. So I was still working as a DRE at the time uh, in the mornings and early afternoon. Then I was driving an hour and a half to get to that restaurant, do about eight hours wor uh, working on the floor and training, and then driving an hour and a half back to my apartment. I did my first exam with the Quartermaster Sommeliers uh, about three months later. They usually recommend waiting one to three years. And passed and that kind of started my journey working as an assistant sommelier to the floor sommelier eventually taking over that wine program after about a year and then restaurant had gotten sold, then working as a restaurant manager sommelier in Harrisburg, doing some cellar work on uh, wine production and bingo bango, here I am. <laughs> wow. Yeah. A lot of I would say like restlessness. I am always looking for a fun challenge. I think that's one of the things that drew me to the restaurant industry was just a desire for a little bit of spontaneity. There's always people that you will meet in this industry that are like, if you put me in an office, I would go insane. <laughs> and I think like working on the restaurant floor, you can never really know what's going to happen that day. That's something that I think drives a lot, a lot of us. Yeah, it's always about what find like your passion with. And yeah. I like how you said that your theology degree kind of impacts still your job today. Like they're two oh, yeah. different things, but it still comes together. Well, I, I always like to make the joke that Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. So I think he was onto something. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I, I do like to kind of make it a point if someone is able to study a subject and most importantly break that subject down for other people in a digestible way then you can you're doing your job well i remember when i was teaching philosophy i had to summarize plato's republic for high school students 
And if I was able to do that, I can summarize Bordeaux for you. If you can break down a really big subject and to something that's interesting and you can do in five minutes, then it's it shows that you not only know the subject, but you can make it enjoyable. For me, as a Psalm, if I'm able to make someone interested in wine, interested in food pairing, and be able to do that in five minutes, I can do my job well. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> that is, that's great. I've learned a lot through this interview with you. This is great. I'm very, yeah. I'm very intrigued. I'm still looking into stuff. I, I love looking into things like this. This is why I love being the host of this podcast is because yeah. I have so many new and exciting jobs and <laughs> opportunities and things like that. It's great. Final question for you is yeah. if you could give one piece of advice to students who want to pursue a career in your field or in the theology field, what would be one thing that you would say? Approach it with curiosity. I have been doing this for years, and I am still learning every single day. We just, uh, like, I still follow tons of religious accounts, and, like, I'll scroll through Instagram. I'll be like, oh, like, that is a saint's feast day. I had no idea what that was. Being in England, I am surrounded by a lot of Anglican churches. I'm surrounded by a lot of Catholic churches. And just this past week, uh, Archbishop Justin Welby was in the Vatican for a dialogue on Anglican orders and Catholic orders. Uh, It was fascinating. I remember seeing some highlights. I'm like, that is super interesting. I want to know what that is. I'll go through my Oxford Companion to Wine. I'll come across a region that I had no idea existed. And I'll suddenly be obsessed with learning everything I can about those grapes, about those regions, those producers. Be curious, and most importantly, stay humble. You're never going to know everything in theology. You're never going to know everything in wine. If you can stay humble and stay curious, you will 100% succeed. Biggest piece of advice I can give. And I agree. I agree with everything that you just said. <laughs> that was great advice. Thank you. That is this episode of Beyond the Tassel. If you have any questions for me or for Sean, his LinkedIn will be in the description. And thank you guys so much for watching. Thank you once again for tuning into today's episode of Beyond the Tassel. It is our honor to present the success stories of our DeSales alumni via podcast. If you are DeSales alumni and would like to be a guest on the show, you can contact melanie.valone at desales.edu. And if you are currently a DeSales student and would like to connect with an alumni in your field, you can contact kathy.kraus at desales.edu. Until next time, Bulldogs.